Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, Confession in Prayer, and it is part of the Conversations with God Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can visit us at our website at bccma.org, or you can always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. Let's get into the Word today. And we've been talking about prayer uh, and haven't really, we haven't tried to deal with the mechanics of prayer so much in this series as the heart of prayer. And so we talked about learning to listen in prayer. So if we were talking about the mechanics, we'd talk about maybe having a daily quiet time and those sort of things that are real important. But that just wasn't what we're trying to do in this series. We're trying to, we're trying to give you the heart of prayer because the Bible says to pray without ceasing. You really should be praying. Prayer should be your second nature. God should be your constant companion. You should be having conversations with God all day long. And when you're driving in the car, when you're, when you're shopping, when you're, when you're on, the, on the computer, you should be having conversations with God all the time. And so, first of all, we talked about listening to God and, and developing the, the lost art of listening in prayer. And the second week, we talked about finding guidance in prayer. Because we're, we're all real good at uh, telling God what we want, what we need, we're not usually naturally so skilled at listening to God, learning what God is speaking, and, and then figuring out exactly what he's speaking. Is. That, that, that is an acquired skill that takes a thing called discernment. And so we, hopefully we helped you with that. And the, the, today we want to move to another uh, lost art, I believe, in a lot of the church world. And that's the art of introspection. Everybody say introspection. The, the art of introspection. And confession, the art of introspection, confession. Believe it or not, you are wired to confess. Uh, a guy named Joey Skaggs, who's actually a, um, he's, he's a professional prankster. And he goes around getting the news media to buy into stories that aren't true. He's been doing this for quite a while. And... Um, uh, you can actually, there's actually a documentary about him on, on uh, I know, on Amazon Prime, I don't know where else, but about all the pranks he's pulled over the years. It's really some funny stuff. Well, here he is at the 1992 Democratic Convention. He, he posed as a priest and built a, he, he, he had a, built a, a portable confessional. <laughs> and people would line up around the block to confess their sins. To this fake priest. It freaked him out one day, though, he had a guy confess to murder. <laughs> so he ran and got the police, and the police said, Well, we can't really do much. He's probably faking you anyway. So people have a need to confess. Now, I don't believe it's all that helpful to recover all the practices that were once taught in terms of confession. Um, uh, how many of you, how many of you, uh, I did this in the first service and I, I was like 90% and I realized I'm out, I'm out of my element because <laughs> like 90%, how many of you have been to a confessional booth and confessed? Well, it's, there, are more, there are more Roman Catholics come to early service, early mass. <laughs> but uh, still, still about 50% 50, 50 of the room has been to confessional booths. So, so you know about that. And I'm not criticizing it, by the way. 
uh, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna be clear about that in a moment. Or you, maybe you come from my, my tradition, which is a little, uh, a, a little less, a little more rustic, and that is the mourner's bench. That's my, that, that's just my, this is what I came from, the mourner's bench. And uh, actually in our church, we, now ours looked a little nicer than that, but, but we had a, a wooden altar down in the front, and after the pastor would preach, we would always be called to repentance of some sort. And uh, that was a lot of repentance taught. And you think Catholic guilt is bad, you ought to experience Pentecostal guilt. <laughs> it's much worse. <laughs> and uh, so we would go and we would kneel and we would pray and we would confess our sins and our shortcomings. Now, uh, I, I want, what I want us to do today and what, where I want to take you is I want you to view this. I want to try to change the par- your paradigm in your view of confession because I, I truly believe mostly the church has lost this. And, and, and that we're, not, we're no longer teaching the confession of sins. And I'll get into this in a minute. I want to tell you three things about confession. And in that, I'll tell you some of the reasons I believe we've, we've moved away from the confession of sins and, and to a different place. But I, I, want, to re, I want to restore to you the, the, uh, the biblical basis of it. And I want us to take it from something that's dreaded and avoided, you know, like, like a colonoscopy. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or a cancer screening, you know. You, you, you always like, I don't want to go for a cancer screening because I might find out I have cancer, you know. And so it's, it's not fun to go for cancer screening. It's not, it's a, so that, that's why some people view confession. It's like one, one of those... Well, I want you to view confession differently. I, I want you to see it like a, um, a hot shower. You know? What, 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 if, what if you looked at the shower and, and you thought it was an instrument of torture <laughs> or designed to drown you? But really, it's, if you had this experience where you were like suffering suicidal depression, and, and I'm, I'm joking, of course, about this, but, but I, I don't think I had suicidal depression, but, but, but I was on the path, and I would take a hot shower, and everything was okay. The world wasn't beautiful again. Am I the only one that's experienced the transforming power of a hot shower? Am I the only one? I mean, it's right up there with a cup of hot coffee. It's right up there with caffeine, right? So I I would like for you to experience the confession. And and, and today, I want us to put it all in one big pile. Don't sort out sins versus faults, shortcomings, weaknesses. Let's put them all in one pile. Sins, shortcomings, weaknesses... Sin means the, the, the uh, hamartano, the Greek word, to miss the mark. So it's just anywhere in life where, where we don't quite measure up and we don't quite make things as good as they could be. We don't quite make other people uh, feel their value like we should. All these things where we just fall short because of our human weaknesses. I want us to view that in the context of a beautiful experience a helpful experience, a positive experience in the presence of God. Let's look at some scriptures. Psalm 139, 23. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Have you invited God to know you? Now, now he knows you anyway. You don't have to invite him to know you. But you only experience the value of him knowing you when you ask him to know you. 
See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. James 5, 16, therefore confess your sins to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. So like I said, I want you to see it the way you view a hot shower, a warm bath, or perhaps, how about this metaphor? I want you to see it as asking Siri for directions. <laughs> Reading the map. I, I hate to read instructions, you know. I, I avoid that. But that's the same reason I avoid confession of my sins, because I, I don't want to know sometimes. But, but I want us to view it differently. I want, I want to view it, how about like a cool drink of water that you, you confessed and you know you, you nailed it. You got it right. That's what I'm doing. It's missing the mark. That's what I'm doing that's making my life worse. That's what I'm doing that's making the world worse. That's what I'm doing that if I don't guard it and I don't get it under control, it's going to take me someplace I don't want to go and keep me longer than I want to, don't, than I want to stay and make me pay more than I want to pay if I don't get that under control. And in fact, that's exactly how King David saw the confession of sin. And he said it in Psalm 32, 1, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. He, he didn't say cursed. He said blessed. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit there's no deceit. When I kept silent, circle silent, of my bones wasted away through my groanings all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy on me. They, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And I won't read the rest of it. You can put it out there for you to read for yourself. But you get the picture. You get the picture that David is, something's off in his life and he's not talking about it and he's ignoring it and he has no self-awareness. Or if he has self-awareness, he's moved into a place of denial. And we've all floated down the river of denial, right? And uh, he's, he, he's, uh, he's, he's um, uh, in denial and it was affecting him physically. He felt like he was out in the desert. But when he, when he went into the confessional... He rediscovered the goodness of God. He rediscovered. You, 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 know, how, you know how in life um, you. Uh, there's some places it's dangerous to say you're wrong. There's some places it's risky. I mean. It, and that's part of the problem. And I think that's part of the reason we've lost confession of sins in the culture. Uh, we've lost confession of sins in the culture. Because it is risky to say you were wrong. It's risky to admit liability. Because we, have now, we now have a definition of legal righteousness. I mean, legally, O.J. Simpson is, is not a murderer. But that doesn't mean he's not a murderer. <laughs> he, he, he achieved legal righteousness... By saying, I didn't do it. 
Whether, you know, whether he, he really did, I, I'm not getting into that. But so, so it's very risky in, 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 in society. It's one of the reasons, it's one of the reasons politi- politicians don't tell the truth. Because a good way to lose an election is to tell the truth. A good way to win an election is to lie. You know, I'm just saying, in that world, that, that's so. You know what the Bible says? The Bible's got this great little verse that says, Be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We got to pull back from that culture, that culture that says, Don't tell the truth or, 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 or you'll lose a lawsuit. <laughs> Uh, you'll, get, you'll be charged with damages if you tell the truth. We're in the kingdom of God. We're in a whole different... Because here, here's what David found out, that it wasn't risky to tell God the truth. He found out that when he told God he was a sinner, God wasn't turned off by that. In fact, God was attracted to his humility and he experienced the amazing grace and goodness of God when he got real with God, you see, you can't get related to God till you get real with God. You can't get right with God till you get real with God. And when you get real with God, he will find you irresistible, unlike the world that will cast you out and, and, and punish you and, 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 uh, and, and penalize you for saying I was wrong and admitting you were wrong. God does just the opposite. Heaven rejoices. The Bible says that there's rejoicing, listen to this, in the presence of angels over one sinner who repents. And I, I, my pastor, when I was a kid, always said that meant the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost were having a, a, a breakdown, a joyful breakdown because there was repentance in the house. And repentance means a release of the glory of God. Repentance releases a release of the, of the love of God. It releases the love of God into your life and into your world and into your family when there's repentance, when there's an admission of guilt. I know it's not popular, but I'm not trying to be popular. I'm trying to help you. So I'm, I'm a little behind time schedule this morning, so let's jump into this and let me quickly give you the three things that I meant to tell you five or ten minutes ago. <laughs> Confession is a privilege, not a punishment, number one. King David came to realize that, right? Confession contains the privilege of rediscovering that God really loves you. If God doesn't really love me, then I have to hide who I am. But because he really loves me, that's the basis of intimacy. The basis of intimacy is that you can reveal yourself completely to that other person. And what you reveal causes more love instead of less. For we do not have a high priest, the Bible says, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Notice, it's in the context of sin. That verse is not in the context of needing a new car. That, <laughs> that verse is not in the context of needing a new house. That verse is not in the context of needing more money in your bank account. That verse is in the context of needing the forgiveness of your sins. Confession contains the privilege of rediscovering the parts of a conflict with the world around you and the people around you that you can actually control. This is why it's liberating. 
It's liberating. It's not condemning. It's liberating to find out that things aren't going well between you and I. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to convince you that it's all you. And what a moment of liberation it is when I find out what part of it is me. Because guess what? I can, can, I can do something about that. I'm not very good at doing something. I haven't been very successful in my life doing something about other people's sin. But I have had quite a bit of success when I can identify my own contribution to the problem. When I can identify what I am doing that's making it worse, I have had a great deal of success in that working. <laughs> See, we all bring our sinful selves to the equation. Now, I understand you're saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, covered by the grace of God. I understand that. But it seems from my observation, and I believe I could, I believe I could make the scriptural case, because I won't take the time this morning, that when you get saved, you give your life over to Christ, there are things I've noticed in people over the years, there are things that just drop off of their life that are, that are unholy, that just go away. This, they're not even tempted by the stuff, stuff, stuff anymore that they were bound by before they came to Christ. But it seems like God in his wisdom leaves something there for you to contend with and I to contend with that doesn't go away in that time when we got saved. It seems like there's something that hangs around. Some, some of you are thin-skinned and easily offended, and you still struggle with that. So, some of you are full of doubt, anxiety, and worry, and fear, and, and, and you're afraid to quit worrying because you're convinced that worry works because you, you think, how bad would things be if I didn't worry? Or, or maybe you're a bit of a bully who simply doesn't have peace unless you're getting your way. Um, uh, yeah, you're a Christian. You love Jesus, but you're a bit of a bully. Maybe you're obsessed about money and you measure everything by cost-benefit analysis and you just, you're just obsessed like that. Maybe you're so independent to the point you can't collaborate, join or support or become a part, integral part of any organized effort to create human flourishing for others, right? Maybe you're a loner to the point that you just end up pushing. Remember what I said now. Some, you say, well, some of that's not a sin. It's not a sin to be a loner. Hey, remember, the Bible says the Bible says, lay aside every sin and the weight. Somebody say weight. Now, that's not spelled W-A-I-T. W-E-I-G-H-T. Weight. And the weight that so easily besets you. So we're going to put sins and weights and shortcomings and faults all in one big basket today. And we're not going to define, oh, it's not a sin. It's a weight. Okay, whatever it is, it makes you more difficult to live with. And it makes the cause of Christ suffer. So that's, that's all we need to know, right? So let's continue with our list here. Maybe you're critically analytical to the point that almost everything and everyone gets reduced to a problem. Maybe you're um, so sharp and critical with your words that your loved ones flinch when you walk by. You know? Do you, do you produce a flinch in people when you walk by? Because something's not right? Or you get self-absorbed to the point that you can't see or feel the needs of other people. Or maybe you're angry and full of rage because of past ghosts 
that have hurt you and offended you. Maybe you've become sexualized in your thinking to the point that other human beings become objectified. They become objects to you because you have become sexualized in your thinking. That's very common in today's culture. Very, very common. Well, the Lord says, bring it to me. (laughs) I want to know. I want to hear you say, that's how I am. I want to hear you say, I, I want to get better. By the way, <laughs> and I want to touch on this again in a moment, but by the way, you know, the, the big deal today in, in a lot of our church and preaching and all is to lift shame off of people. And I'm all for that, by the way. And I, if I haven't made that point today, I apologize. I want to make the point that God's love wants to lift the shame off of you. But would it be a novel idea that following Jesus would also be, and, 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 and pursuing righteousness, would also, a, a, a worthy goal would be to actually, actually get better as a person? Is that, does that work for you? What if, what, what if I, you know, I've, I've often thought, and I, and I feel a little guilty, I have so many wonderful Brazilian members of this church, and I haven't, ever learn to speak Portuguese, or, you know, and I, and I really, sometimes I, I should learn to speak Portuguese, I love these people, and, and what if you speak Portuguese, and is it, who's, see, who speaks Portuguese here? I don't have any in the second service. Well, okay, well, I'll, I'll use Carol Cunha, who was in the first service, Carol Cunha, the first time I met her, I was so impressed with her, she and a group of people from her Brazilian church came to my house when I was, when I was sick and prayed for me one day, and, and I, really, I remember remarking, saying, boy, that lady, she's, her, her English is so good. So what if I went to Carol and I started taking lessons? And after three months, uh, after three months, I couldn't speak a word of Portuguese, but I didn't feel so ashamed that I couldn't speak Portuguese. I didn't feel bad about it anymore. Are you, are you tracking with me? I, I, I was no better at Portuguese than I was when I started. But I felt better about it. Would you think she had succeeded? She's a good psychologist, maybe. <laughs> but she didn't succeed at her mission, which is to teach me a new language. So the Bible says, and listen to this, it's not going to go up on the wall there. Romans 8, 28. Everybody knows this verse. Everybody knows the first, first, everybody knows 28, nobody knows 29. <laughs> 28 says, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God or are called according to his purpose, right? Everybody knows that. So everybody knows that in some way. Verse 29 says, for whom, for whom he did foreknow, he did also predestine that we might be conformed to the image of Christ. Because I know, what, we, we interpret that verse, all things work together. That means if I lose this job, I'm going to get a better one. <laughs> If my car breaks down like yours did the other day, I'm going to get a better car. Which that worked out, didn't you? You got a better car. <laughs> if my car breaks down, I'm going to get a better one. And, uh, and that's cool because I always love it when something leads to something better. But that's not really the context of the verse. The context of the verse is God has designed things that happen to you and happen to me, good, bad, indifferent, to make me more like Jesus. So how about if we embrace a Christianity that actually works to make us more like Jesus 
and, and doesn't just make us feel better about being lousy. <laughs> right? Amen. Would that be cool? To produce actual disciples of Jesus who follow Jesus and love Jesus? Say, well, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm, up, I don't know if I'm down with that because I, I, I want Jesus to love me. Regard- well, he loves you regardless, so you got that. Don't worry. But he has plans for your life, too. He has plans to make you better and better and better. The Bible says that all over the Bible. It, the Bible says, and I love this verse in Proverbs. It says, the path of the just goes brighter and brighter to the perfect day. So God's plan for me, you know, I've been doing this a long time, man. I'm still repenting. I'm still asking God to forgive me of stuff. I'm still dealing with stuff in my life. I'm still, I'm still feeling myself becoming a little more like Jesus every few months. And it's, it's not bad, man. It's good. It's wonderful. It's great. So let me just deal for a moment with uh, some of the reasons that we have rejected, I believe, the idea of confessing sins. And it's not a popular thing anymore. We, don't, we, we took the mourner's bench out, and obviously you don't want the confessional booth anymore because you're here, not there. Right? You, I, I heard of one woman who went to confessional booth and, 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 and by the way I'm not, I am not criticizing the Catholic Church at all thank God for the Catholic Church but one woman told me a story she went and, and, and I guess the priest asked her if she had been married in the church and she said no and he said get out so it was, it was actually very traumatic for her uh, you know and I, I heard about the other guy you know who was always stealing plywood and he, he kept going to the confessional. And finally, the, the, the priest says, I want you to make a novena. And he didn't know what that was. And he said to the priest, well, if, if you got the plans, I got the plywood. <laughs> now, that's a bad joke from Texas. <laughs> the younger people didn't get it. They just looked at me like, what? <laughs> that's like a dad, bad dad joke, isn't it, Elise? <laughs> so... Why have we rejected, and maybe I'm falsely accusing you, but why have, I believe, the church is largely rejected. I don't see people coming down front repenting like that, like we used to. And I'm not saying we have to look like that. I'm not at all. Please don't misunderstand me. But why have we rejected? I think there are a few things. Here's a few things that I've been told. I've been told this. If you talk to people about their sin, you will give people a sin consciousness. Instead of a righteousness consciousness. Now that, that sounds like new age gobbledygook to me. Because uh, the scripture says in 1 Peter 2.1. I'm just going to give you scriptures for all these things I'm going to say. We'll get through this real quickly. So put away all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Like newborn babes long for the pure spiritual milk. That by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted the Lord is good. Evidently, Simon Peter, who wrote this, didn't get the memo that I shouldn't mention to people anything about their sins or I give them a sin consciousness. Evidently, he didn't know that. The second thing I've heard is this. Your sins don't keep you from God. Your shame keeps you from God. Is that true? Sometimes it's true, by the way, I think. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely, for some people and sometimes that's true. But to make a blanket statement, don't talk to people about sin because sin isn't the problem. Shame is the problem. That's, 
That sounds pretty postmodern, but it doesn't sound biblical. Because the Bible says, your iniquities have built barriers between you and your God. Not your, not your shame. I haven't, just to be honest with you, I haven't seen very many people lately that have any shame. I've seen a real lack of shame <laughs> in people who should. You know, you know the old timers would say to their children, you should be ashamed. <laughs> That's the way I feel about some people in the culture. You should be ashamed of acting that way. Uh, I think, it, it, well, I don't want to go down that trail. I could talk about that for a while, but I'll, I'll back up from it. Let me just read the scripture. But your iniquities have built barriers between you and God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. Another thing that, um, that I've been told is we must not confess sins because they have already been forgiven by the death of Jesus on the cross. All your past, which, which doctrinally I actually believe that. I believe that all my sins have been forgiven. I, I, also, uh, I, also, believe, uh, I also believe there's lunch for me at a restaurant somewhere where I'll probably end up in a little while. But if I stay here, I won't get it. I got to go there. And I got to pay the bill, right? Be willing to pay the bill. First uh, John 1 8, 8 says, if we, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in it. Now, here's the big one, though. Here's the, here's the big one, I think, that, 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 that happened in the, um, the, the latter part of the 20th century. Uh, I a many psychologists decided that the, the most pressing problem for humanity was poor self-esteem. That if we could just elevate people's self-esteem and their sense of self-worth, we would solve the problems of humanity. That, 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 uh, that even the worst sociopath was only a sociopath and a psychopath they were only that way because they were in pain. They were hurting. Someone had hurt them in their past. And we had to find out who had hurt them. Now, I don't know if you understand, but I'm going to give you scripture. But the psychological community has now rejected that. I don't know. And you need to get caught up on the latest. If you're still believing that the greatest problem of humanity is that we have low self-esteem then you're not even up to date with the latest psychological research, much less the scripture. How about, and, and I love to read psychology, I probably read it too much sometimes, how, but how about if we just start going to the Bible for what we believe? That didn't go over very well. I thought I would get an amen or a golf clap anyway, Craig. <laughs> I'm telling you, and I'm telling you as someone who has really benefited from researching extra biblical sources. I've researched a lot. You know, some of my family worries about me that I research it too much. Things that are extra biblical. But don't, you, don't mistake it for a minute. When I want to get a final solution, I go to the Word. I mean, and I'm, 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 more, I'm more dogmatic about that than I've ever been in my life. I'm more dogmatic. The, the Word of God is, is, it is inerrant. It is infallible. It, 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 is, it is truth personified. 
And uh, anyway, uh, the Bible says, and uh, I had not found this verse before. This is a new one. This is the one I esteem. This is God talking. He who is humble and contrite in heart and trembles at my word, declares the Lord. So self-esteem has a role. Self-worth is important. Of course, we believe in self-worth and self-esteem. But the most important thing is having God esteem me. And, and let, let, me go to the, let me go to some of my psychological research. Lauren Slater, in her New York Times article, The Trouble with Self-Esteem, said last year alone there were three withering studies of self-esteem released in the United States, all of which had the same central message. Listen to this. People with high self-esteem pose a greater threat to those around them than people with low self-esteem. And feeling bad about yourself is not the cause of our country's biggest and most expensive social problem. Now, now she writes for the New York Times, so she, you know she's not a right-wing nut, right? She writes for the New York Times. Will Storr, in his book, Selfie, How the West Became Self-Obsessed, he quotes two American psychologists investigating the impact of the self-esteem movement that came out of California in the 80s and 90s. The irony was intense. He says, narcissism causes almost all the things that Americans hoped high self-esteem would prevent, wrote Twenjin Campbell, including aggression, materialism, lack of caring for others, and shallow values. In trying to build a society that celebrates high self-esteem, self-expression, and loving yourself, Americans have inadvertently created more narcissists. Roy Bymaster, he's a professor of psychology at Florida State University, or, uh, yeah, Florida State University, he writes this. After all these years, I'm sorry to say that my recommendation is this. Forget about self-esteem and concentrate more on self-control and self-discipline. Now, these aren't preachers. These are humanistic psychologists who are saying there is such a thing as a narcissist. There is such a thing as a psychopath. There is such a thing as sociopath. And they're not made that way because somebody hurt them. They're made that way because it feels good to them. And they're made that way because they found out they want to win and at all costs. Yes, there will be some people who, are, who become that way because they've been hurt. But be careful, about, be careful about saying that no one should ever feel bad about anything. Because when I come before God, there's a paradox that I must humble myself in order to be elevated. And it works. Finally, I will say this today. Confession is a daily practice on the path to perfect unity with Christ. Scripture says, Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away with the error of the lawlessness and fall from your secure positions. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. There's a words, there's a words of an old song. Um, I, I, I wish uh, the, the worship team or somebody would drag this song out of the, the mothballs and redo it and, and for contemporary. Because the words haunt me. And it says, uh, it says, let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. All his wonderful passion and purity. O oh, my Savior divine, all my being refine. Till the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. 
It goes kind of like this. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. All his wonderful passion and purity. Oh, my Savior divine, all my being refined. Till the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. If you go to the art gallery and you see a picture, a beautiful painting, and you go, my, what a beautiful frame. The artist failed. <laughs> if you go and you say, that's a great artist, and I admire their technique is incredible. The artist has partly succeeded. But if you go and you see a painting, say a beautiful painting of Niagara Falls or a beautiful painting of Mount Rainier and you look at that painting and you go, I want to go there. Then the artist has fully succeeded. Then they've fully succeeded at inspiring you to the beauty of that place so much that you want to go and experience it for yourself. That is the goal of the Christian life. The goal of the Christian life is that I would inspire you to want to know Jesus because I remind you of him. You know I'm not him and you know I don't have his beauty, but I remind you of some aspect of his beauty and you know with him there's even more. So regularly, daily ask, I would say do this daily, but at least a week, every week or so. Ask God three questions. What problems in my life am I making worse by my attitudes and actions? Secondly, where could I change my attitude and behaviors to make life easier for others? Finally, simply, how could I be more like Jesus? Wouldn't that be good? Let's go back to the confessional and let's humble ourselves before a God who will never condemn us, who will always love us, always accept us, and open up our hearts for life-saving surgery. <laughs> Amen. Mm.